hope you do. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're looking at verse 22. We're going to look at verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Well, whenever I think of entering the most holy place and drawing near to our most holy God, I always think of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. I loved reading these seven books to my daughter and when she was young. And uh, I would really encourage you to, to read them if you haven't, and read them with your family. But in this part of the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it tells the adventures of four children in the magical kingdom of Narnia. And the story is fun, but it's also an allegory of Christ and salvation, with Christ represented as the lion Aslan. When in Narnia, the children meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, there's talking animals in this book, who describe the mighty lion to them. And in this classic story, it goes like this. One of the children asks, is he a man? Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, another one of the children. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. In other words, Aslan was scary good, like we talked about last week. Now, I also think, when I think of entering God's holy presence, I think of my Greek professor at Liberty, Dr. Ron Sauer. He was a very, uh, he, he, he was a Marine, former Marine who now mastered Greek and expected us to master Greek. And he was just a compassionate, uh, he was just a solid, disciplined individual. One day he told us, well, he came in and to the class, and it was mostly men, and he said, men, I, uh, I threw my TV out last night. What do you mean? Well, I just realized I could, have been, I could have been studying my Greek New Testament. So I just put it in the car, went to the dump, and, you know, threw my TV away. And so, you know, you're like, woo. You know, but I always respected this guy. And whenever I went, I, I wanted to get to know him. But whenever I went to his office, I just would shake. You know, I was just, it was like, I want to be near you, but you're very scary. It was scary good to visit uh, Dr. Sauer. I also, when I think about entering to people's presence that are uh, fearful or whatever, I think of uh, Gwen, and when I took her to Dallas Seminary to meet uh, or to just visit the seminary, there was a famous professor there, Dr. Howard Hendricks. And Gwen's like, oh, hey, look. I said, look, there's Dr. Hendricks over there. Everybody would want to meet. And Gwen goes, oh, let's meet him. I go, you don't want to meet him. He says, oh, no, no, let's meet him. I said, Gwen, we don't want to do this. And, no, no, I want to do it. I said, okay, here we go. So we go walk up. Hi, Dr. Hendricks. This is my wife, Gwen. And we're just kind of, it was scary awkward. 
It was really scary. It was scary awkward. And after some awkward minutes of just kind of looking at each other, we walked away and I said, I told you, you did not want to do that. He was very, he, he came alive when he taught, but he was very shy, very introverted. And it was what you would, it was just scary awkward. But here's the good news. Entering God's presence is scary good. It's scary good. Entering into God's holy presence is scary good. Last week we saw that through the new and living way, our sinless high priest, King Jesus, we can boldly enter the most holy place with confidence. And we saw in verses 19 through 21 that it's a holy privilege made possible by a holy provision in order for it to be a holy priority in our lives. And I hope that through this series, you'll adjust your perspective so that you'll see that coming near to God, even coming here today to worship, but during the week, it's a holy privilege. And you'll have that attitude of looking forward to it. I hope you'll be filled with praise for the holy provision that Christ has made possible. And we saw, too, I hope that you'll resolve to pursue entering God's presence as a holy priority this year. And to do that, you've got to take bold action. You've got to take bold action. And the first action that you need to take is what we see here in verse 22. You've got to draw near. We get to enter in. And because we get to enter in, you've got to draw near. You get to draw near. And so notice what it says in your notes. Confidence to enter into God's holy presence is shown by taking bold action to draw near as new covenant believer priests. The, the way you show that you are confident that you can enter is by drawing near as new covenant believer priests. You say, what is that? Well, that's what we're going to find out. We're going to take two, two weeks to talk about drawing near. And here's what I want you to see for this morning. New Covenant believer priests draw near with confident attitudes. I want to talk to you this morning about the attitude with which you enter God's presence. Because I think a lot of the reason we don't consistently spend time with God is because our attitudes are wrong. We don't have the right perspective about spending time with God. So let's look at verse 22. Let it, look at what it says. It's a command. In, in light of the ability to enter in, look at verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil or a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This one verse is going to give us two reasons why we can have confident attitudes in drawing near to God. And here's the first one. Our whole hearts have been transformed. Our whole hearts have been transformed by the new covenant in order to draw near. God has transformed our hearts. Notice what it says. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. I believe that we're going to see that this is something that God has given us. And so we can come in a sincere way because God has made us sincere. So let's look at this. The first thing I want you to see is that the old covenant believers never, old covenant believers never got to enjoy this. 
So this is a new covenant privilege since the coming of Christ. They never enjoyed this kind of heart transformation, but it was promised to them in the new covenant. Now, here's one thing you know, reading the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel had hard and stubborn and disobedient hearts, okay? I mean, it's just on and on and on. In fact, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And let's look at verses 8 through 15 and see. This is kind of a summary, to be honest with you. It's a summary of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. But it's really a summary of the nation of Israel throughout their whole history. Look at Hebrews 3, look at verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, here's God's estimate, they always go astray where? In their hearts. And they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another. And then look at verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. The point is this. Under the old covenant, your heart wasn't transformed. It was hard, it was stubborn, and it was disobedience. Even Even the priests of Israel could never draw near to God's presence without first offering an animal sacrifice in an attempt to cover their sins until the coming of Christ. And even then, their hearts were such that they couldn't enter the Holy of Holies. No one could enter the Holy of Holies. Their hearts were not true. They were not sincere. And even the high priest could only enter once a year, and even then he had to offer sacrifices in order for him to enter. I just finished reading the book of Deuteronomy. I've been reading through the Bible, started before the end of the year, and just finished Deuteronomy. And it's amazing. Here's Moses. He's been with these people for 40 years. And all they've done has been disobedient and unbelieving. Then he comes to the end of Deuteronomy, and he's about to die. And he's basically telling them, look, (laughs) you have not served the Lord with a joyful and glad heart. He tells them, look, you're going to be cursed for your disobedience. And then he tells them, the only way you're going to be delivered is if God changes your heart. But I'm here to tell you, this is Moses, actually God telling Moses to tell him, I know you guys are going to disobey. I know that I'm going to have to put these curses on you. And I know that the only way you're ever going to change is I'm going to have to circumcise your heart. In other words, he's telling the people of Israel, you're not going to change through keeping the law. It's not by circumcision. It's not by animal sacrifices. It's not by rule keeping. It's not by the rituals. I'm going to have to circumcise and cleanse and transform your hearts. And that's the promise of the new covenant. The fact is this. Old covenant believers did not have 
the kind of transformed hearts that are now possible to God's people through Jesus Christ. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. New covenant believer priests now enjoy that heart transformation. They never did under the Old Testament. In the New Testament, once Christ comes, now we can have that kind of transformed heart. Our hearts don't have to be stubborn. Our hearts don't have to be hard. We can come to God with sincere hearts. New Covenant believer priests now enjoy the heart transformation promised in the New Covenant. Now, this is amazing. We no longer have to do religious works in order to enter God's presence because God has given us a heart that is eager and tender and desirous to enter his presence. And that's and, and here's how he's done that. He's done it through what Christ did on the cross and who Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Christ has made the sacrifice that covers our sin. Christ has risen and is seated at the right hand saying, Father, accept them into your presence. And Christ has done a work in our hearts. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Look at verses 8 through 13. The author of Hebrews is quoting the new covenant as something that has happened. And he tells us what has happened. Look at Hebrews 8, 8 through 13, and he's quoting Jeremiah 31. Look at, uh, look at uh, well, let's look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God has transformed. He's promising through the new covenant to transform our hearts to where the word of God is not just out here, but it's in here. I have a heart that want, that knows God, knows what he wants, and wants to do it. Look at Hebrews 10. He does this again. Look at Hebrews 10, verses 16 through 18. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews 10. Look at verses 16 and 18, and he says this again. This is the covenant. This is the new covenant. This is the new covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there's no longer any offering for sin. Now look at those three verses, and I want you to realize two things. I want you to realize that under the new covenant salvation, we not only have forgiveness of sins, we always focus on that, but we also have a changed or a transformed heart. All right? And that's the part we don't emphasize enough. That's the part that will change your attitude. You not only have been forgiven, but you have a new want to inside of you, a new heart direction, a new purpose and goal, and a changed approach to God. So what does this mean? And how does it happen? Number one, 
We have hearts truly transformed for wholehearted devotion to God. When you come to Christ now under His new covenant blood, your heart has been transformed for wholehearted devotion. Let's draw near, verse 22 says, with a sincere heart. Now, what's this mean? We can approach God with changed hearts made new by the new covenant. And this is what it means. You as a believer have a heart that's eager to know God. You have a heart that's eager to obey God. You have a heart that is passionate to love God with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's what it means to be saved under the new covenant. Does that make sense? See, I think a lot of people, they accept Christ to get forgiven, and then they, 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 they go, go to work for Avis. We try harder. We try harder. We try harder. When in fact, if you have been forgiven, you've been given the desire. You've been given the ability. You have a transformed heart that can come to God with sincerity, loyalty, and wholehearted commitment. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Now, why can we do that? Because that's exactly the kind of heart that God has given us through the new covenant. The reason I can come with a sincere heart is not because I've got to screw myself into sincerity. It's because I have that kind of heart. God has given me that kind of heart. We can approach with a wholehearted sincerity, loyalty, and intensity. Our hearts are true and trustworthy because that's the kind that God has created and the kind that are made new by the gospel. Now, I like what one student of this passage said. Listen, a true heart is required to enter the true sanctuary. The phrase means more than sincerity. Sincerity is included, but with it all, But with it, all that enters into a right attitude toward God as revealed in our great high priest. It means a heart of gladness, freedom, enthusiasm, bold appropriation of all the privileges of sonship and of entering as a believer priest. It means we can come to God with this attitude that says, you know what? I get to do this. I want to do this. In fact... God is expecting me and welcomes me and enjoys that I am coming to him. That's a whole different attitude. So let me ask you, is that how you approach praying to God with an eagerness? Is that how you approach reading the Bible on a daily basis? Is that how you think of coming to church with an eagerness, a joy, and a a, a sincerity that says, I get to do this, and I have a heart that wants to do this. Now, how is all this possible? Because if you're like me, you're like, you know what? I don't feel very sincere sometimes, right? I, 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 I don't feel very committed sometimes, and that's the problem. Because, listen, if you wait until you feel like you're wholehearted, committed to come to God, when will you come to Him? You won't. You won't, and I think that's where a lot of... God's people are. Instead of understanding, I'm not only forgiven, but I've been transformed. 
And I can come as I am. I can come as I am and God accepts me as I am. Now, he's not going to leave me the way he finds me. He's he's there to make me more holy. But I can come and the basis on which I can come is number two. How is this possible? We have hearts that are fully assured by faith. We come by faith in our great high priest. And we come in on the basis of his holy provision. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. I think sometimes we ought to say in Jesus' name at the beginning of our prayer. Because that's why we get to come. Lord, I'm eager to come. Not because I've got my act all together, but because you have your act all together. And I come on the basis of Jesus. Does that make sense? Lord, I come not because I'm sinless, but because in Christ I am sinless. And Christ is sinless. His blood covers me so I can come. Even with my sin, I can come. I don't have to wait to get my act all together. Does this make make sense? Let us draw near with a sincere heart. But that sincere heart comes in full assurance of faith. Now think about this. We can approach God with full assurance that we will be accepted... Because our sins are already canceled and covered by the blood of Christ. We can approach with full assurance knowing that His righteousness is ours and we have peace with God. We can approach God with full assurance that through Christ we've been authorized to enter. We can approach His holy presence. We will be accepted and find assistance when we ask for it. Now, that ought to change your attitude towards prayer, your daily time with God, and your worship with God's people on a weekly basis. You see, we don't have to doubt God's goodness. We trust His goodness. We don't have to doubt His greatness. We trust it. We don't have to doubt His grace. See, a a sincere heart means... That by faith, I can come and really be who I am in front of God and know that I'll be accepted. But faith is the key. You don't come on the basis of, I had a pretty good week, so I feel confident I can approach God. You know, I I sinned less this week than last week, so I feel better about coming to church Sunday. That's not how it works. You can have your best week ever and you're still not worthy to approach Him. And guess what? You can have your worst week ever in Christ and you can still approach Him knowing that you will be accepted. That changes your attitude. Or at least it should. But it comes by faith. Now, Hebrews 11 is going to teach us two important things about this full assurance of faith. So look at Hebrews 1. We get a definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's, why, that's how you approach God. You don't approach God based on what you, what you see in your life. You, pray, uh, you approach God on the basis of faith in what Christ has done. I think too often... 
our attitude towards God is based more on what we see than on the eyes of faith in what Christ has done. Okay? So, we look at ourselves sometimes in a literal mirror and go, I'm not worthy to approach Him. And you're right, but you never are. But in reality, you're wrong because in Christ you are worthy and you, you base that on faith, not your performance, not your guilt. And listen to this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and not unseen. Because when you think about it, we're not talking, we're talking about entering God's holy presence in a holy temple that none of us have ever seen. And realizing that when we pray, and even right now as I'm teaching and as you're listening, we're in God's holy temple in His holy presence as His people. Wow. But you know what? One day we're going to be there. One day we're going to... We're, by faith, that's we, we, we see... What will one day be a reality? One day, you and I will be in God's holy presence physically with a glorified, resurrected body and interacting with Him and with His people. It's mind-blowing. But right now, that's a reality by faith. Look at Hebrews 11.6. Look at Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and is the rewarder of those who seek him. There's no other way to draw near to God, not on the basis of who you are, but on the basis of faith. Nothing else pleases him except for you to say, God, here I am in all my imperfection, in all my brokenness. Here I am, but I come on the basis of faith in who Christ is and what he's done. God is pleased with that. But when we come and say, you know what, God, I think I live a pretty good life. I think I'm a pretty good person. I think I read my Bible quite a bit. I think I go to church quite a bit. I think that you ought to be pretty lucky to have me on your team. And so here I am. And God says, yuck. You know, God says, well, God doesn't say anything. He just he just ignores that. We come by faith. Here's the good news. We can draw near to God without hiding who we are, without pretending to be we're something we're not, without being fearful of being rejected, without posturing, without hypocrisy. And where does that confidence come from? It comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? We get that. So a sincere heart... I'm. A sincere heart is one that says, look, in all my imperfection, I have been perfected to come. In all my imperfection, I have been perfected to come. Even in my sinfulness, I have been forgiven and cleansed and I come. And so I just come honestly. God, here's what you get. And God says, it's okay. It's covered. It's covered by the blood. I accept you. I'm eager to have you enter my presence. That's pretty good news to me. That's really good news. Now, 
Does this sound impossible? Does this sound like make-believe? Well, look at the rest of verse 22. The author of Hebrews in the last part of this verse tells us why this is possible. And it's not make-believe. It's not just, it's not make-believe. It's actually a reality. Let us draw near, look at the last part of the verse. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil or an unbelieving or a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's important for you to see at least it says this in the New American Standard, having our hearts sprinkled and having our bodies washed. The basis upon which we come, the basis on which we have faith, the basis is what God has already done in our lives. Now, what's this talking about? I don't know about you, but sprinkling and washing sounds like weird talk. Well, it is because it's Old Testament stuff, right? So let's take a look at it. Number one, Old Covenant priests had to wash their bodies and literally be sprinkled with blood before they could enter. Okay? In the Old Testament, only the priests, only the priests could enter, but before they could enter, they had to wash their bodies, put on linen garments, and then have the blood of the animals sprinkled on their clothing. You know, so I, again, I just got done reading Genesis through Deuteronomy. There is blood everywhere in the worship of God. And I think if we were transported today into the Old Testament temple and saw, we would like to be freaking out. I know my wife would. My daughter couldn't even, wouldn't be able to handle it. She can't see a chicken cut up. There was blood everywhere. And do you realize the only individuals that could even come near God's holy presence had to do a full body wash down, put on white clothing, and then have it splattered with animal blood. And this is how you entered. Why? Because your sins had to be covered. In fact, I've got four areas where this washing and sprinkling took place. And I think one of the most important is the first one. Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, the ones who functioned as priests, had to have their bodies washed and be sprinkled with blood to be consecrated. In other words, God told Moses, bring Aaron and his sons. They're going to be priests. And we're going to set them aside. And if you read Exodus 29, you will see that part of the process of being set apart as a priest was you had to have full body wash, put on these linen clothes, and then be splattered with the blood of the sacrifices. Secondly, every priest had to wash at the basin before they entered the holy place during their daily regular... So this washing and sprinkling wasn't just when they became priests. Every day, they had to wash their hands and feet before they entered into their priestly duties. So you know how your mom was? Wash your hands before dinner, right? You need to be clean. It's healthy. Well, to approach God, these guys were washing their hands and feet. Why? Because they were on holy ground and they were unholy. Thirdly, and most importantly, I think verse 22 is referring to the Day of Atonement. That's the day when the high priest, that's the day when the high priest could enter 
the Holy of Holies. And in order to do that, he had to wash his entire body according to Leviticus 16. And then they splattered blood everywhere. They would splatter it on the altar. They would splatter it on the mercy seat where God's glory was going to come down. They splattered it on the temple, uh, the tent of meeting. They splattered it on the priests after he had bathed his body. But number four, also in the Old Covenant, when the Old Covenant was read, when the law of Moses was read and the people of Israel committed to obey that covenant, animal sacrifices were made and blood was splattered on the law of Moses and on the people. So why am I saying all this? Well, I got interested in the sprinkling, so I looked up in the concordance on my computer, and I looked up every use of sprinkle in the, in, 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 um, in the first five books of Moses. Well, actually, I think it was in the, yeah, the first five books of Moses. And they all come in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And they always refer to sprinkling blood, sprinkling anointing oil, or sprinkling purifying water. And this was done to cover sin, to cleanse what was unclean, and to consecrate what is holy, whether it's the priest, the altar, the mercy seat, or the meeting. Here's my point. Listen. In the Old Testament, we said last week there was a lot of bleeding and a lot of standing. This week, I want you to understand there was a lot of sprinkling and a a lot of washing. A lot of sprinkling. A lot of washing. Sprinkling of blood, washing with water. But here's what I want you to get. All this sprinkling and all this washing did not actually perfect the hearts and the lives of the priests or the people. And no one actually entered the true holy of holies in heaven because of doing these things. Even though they did these things and God asked them to do these things, He wanted them to realize that they didn't measure up and God was going to have to do a work. Okay? So no matter how much sprinkling they did and washing. Now I want you to stop a moment and think. Do you realize that there's still religions in this world that sprinkle water as holy water that won't let you enter a house of worship without dabbing your fingers in some holy water and making some gestures? You see, this mentality, as long as Christ isn't exalted, this mentality enters in where we have to somehow kill something, sacrifice something, do something to enter God's presence. But none of this worked. All of this was a shadow pointing to the real substance who is Christ. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. Look at Hebrews 9. You see, no matter how much sprinkling, how much washing was done, people still had sinful hearts. Look at Hebrews 9, 11 through 15. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, and those things have come now, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, 
That is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. In other words, look, if animal blood and washing with physical water could get a priest into the Holy of Holies once a year, if that worked on the earthly level, notice how much more Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here's the reality. Look, if this worked on an earthly level for a time, now that Christ has come, there's been an inner cleansing where you can not only enter a earthly tabernacle, you enter the heavenly tabernacle. You enter into the very presence. Look at verse 15. For this reason, he's a mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. In other words, what this was unable to do, this did and covered what happened in the past. Wow. Now, what does this mean for you and me? Look at the second point. New covenant believer priests have already, already been purified inwardly and outwardly in order to draw near. So what they had to do before they could enter an earthly place, okay, they had to enter an earthly place, we already have had done to us so that we can enter... God's holiness directly. Wow. Okay. So what's this mean? Christ has purged our sins. In other words, Christ's blood, that sprinkling of blood, Christ's blood has been sprinkled over our lives, over our hearts. And the gospel, the word of God, has washed our bodies clean so that we can enter. So let's look at it. Number one. Well, having our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So number one, we what does this mean for us? We have inward purification of a clear conscience. Inward purification of a clean conscience has already taken place. It's already taken place when we accept Christ. What that means is this. When we come to God, we don't come with a guilt of condemnation for our sins. We come with a guilt of conviction because we know that as believers we've been forgiven and we don't want to remain in our sin. And so we come to God with a a conscience that's not condemned and drives us away, we come with a conviction of sin that draws us to him for further cleansing. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I, this...
we don't come to God burdened with, is he going to condemn me because of my sin? If I confess sin to him, if I come to him about who I really am, is he going to reject me? We don't come with that fear. Are you with me? We come with the confidence that we've been sprinkled with his blood and there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we have outward purification of a cleansed body that has already taken place. A cleansed body. So this is not just an inner thing, it's an outer thing. We should live holy lives because God sees our bodies as being pure and acceptable before Him. Here's the point. Our whole lives have been purified and perfected in order to enter God's holy presence. Here's the point. We are now believer priests. Okay, so I'm going to pull an Oprah here and say, you get to be a believer priest. And you get to be a believer priest. And you get to be a believer priest. If you believe in Christ, you get to be a believer priest. You say, do I have to wash my body? No, the gospel's already washed it. Do I have to have animal blood sprinkled on me? No, the blood of Jesus has already cleansed you. You get to enter God's presence as a believer priest. Wow. Now, who did all this? God did it. Notice that in your Bibles, this is in the passive tense. You have been sprinkled and you have been washed. This isn't something we do. It's something that God has done. When did God do this? Turn your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. When did God do this work of sprinkling? When did God do this? Well, there's basically three answers. The Father did it before the creation of the world. Christ did it on the cross. And the Spirit applied it to you when you accepted the gospel. All right, so let's look at it. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout all these uh, parts of the Roman Empire, notice, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God determined to cleanse His people before the foundation of the world, before you were created, before you ever sinned. You had nothing to do with that part of it by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. You, the Spirit comes when the gospel is received and Christ performed that work on the cross. So Christ accomplished it 2,000 years ago and the Spirit applies it to you when you accept Christ through the gospel. Look at Hebrews 12. Turn back to Hebrews 12. Look at verse 24. Hebrews 12, verse 24. In Hebrews 12, it talks again about Jesus' blood. And notice what it says. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel. His blood was spilled on the ground. And God said, His blood cries out, condemnation to you, Cain. And he's saying here that Jesus' blood cries out, not condemnation, but purification to you as a sinner. Isn't that good news? It speaks of a better 
uh, speaks of a better uh, speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, how did God do all this? Ephesians five, Titus three. It's the washing of the gospel, the acceptance of the gospel. So, what's the big deal? Well, we're believer priests in Christ. In Christ, there's a new covenant transformation, a new covenant purification for the church now and for Israel in the future. All of this was made as a promise to Israel in the future. But here's the good news. When you accept Christ, you get in on Israel's promises for the future right now. And you get to be a believer priest. Now, let me ask you four questions. I want you to think through four questions this week. Number one, what's your attitude when you enter God's presence? Do you enter with a confident attitude? Are you eager to come to God? Are you confident? Are you bold? Are you joyful? Or do you somehow feel unworthy, full of shame and fear of being rejected and thinking that God is not going to accept you? I would check your attitude this week. Number two. Do I draw near to God's presence with a wholehearted devotion? Do I come to give to God or just to get from Him? Do I come for Him to do my will or do I come to do His will? Do I come to be devoted to Him or for Him to satisfy my needs? Number three, when I draw near to confess my sins, do I do so already know already knowing they've been forgiven. I think this is a hard one because, listen, if all my sins are covered, why do I need to confess my sins? And if God doesn't condemn me for my sins, why do I need to confess them? And and, and you have to keep this intention. He convicts us. He doesn't condemn us. We come already forgiving, forgiven, wanting to be made more holy. Does that make sense? Because I know I'm forgiven, I don't want to hold on to my sin. Does that make sense? Because I'm forgiven, I don't want to hide my sin. I can bring it to him because I know it's already forgiven. And I know in confessing that, I'll be restored to fellowship and I'll have more grace and ability to sin less for having done so. And then number four, let me ask you this. And this might be the most important question of all. Do you draw near to God at all? And if so, why not? Do you draw near? Because here's the deal. The whole point of verse 22 is God has given his people a heart and he has qualified them to be believer priests, to enter by faith into God's presence. So if you have no desire to do that, the question is, has your heart been changed by the gospel? So there's really only one of two things that need to be done. If you're not drawing near to God in this manner, with this attitude, you either need to accept Him this morning and He'll gladly sprinkle you and wash you with the gospel, or you need to repent of not drawing near and begin to do so. Because this is your holy privilege. You're a priest of the Most High God. Amen? And it's based on being a believer. And so I hope that 2018 is going to give you a changed attitude in how you approach God. Amen? 
And in the process, you're going to leave 2018 a year from now more holy, more Christ-like, less sin, and less guilt in all that comes with the destructiveness of sin. Amen? That's a good outlook for 2018. Let's go to him now on the basis of his blood and the washing of his word. Father, I come and I ask you to bless these people. I pray that these profound truths will, will, by your spirit, pierce our hearts and give us a joyfulness, an eagerness to enter into your presence. Lord, these are really amazing truths that you are listening to us right now and we are drawn near to you and accepted by you, all on the basis of the shed blood and the mediation of our sinless Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we take advantage of this privilege, and may it be a holy priority. In Jesus' name, amen. Now next week, we're going to look at practical, bold action steps to enter God's presence. And we're going to bring it down to the day-to-day level. So come back for that next week. Thaw out a little bit and come back.